You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, way back in Proverbs 22, verse 17 and following, we learn that we are now in a section where there are 30 sayings recorded for us. And as we turn to Proverbs chapter 24, we actually pick it up in verse 1 at the 19th of this collection of 30 sayings. And so these sayings, as I mentioned, began in Proverbs chapter 22 and will extend now through Proverbs chapter 24. And so really what we're getting here are the final 11 sayings that are recorded. And saying number 19 is found in verse 1. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For, verse 2, their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. Now here what we have is a recognition from the Father, who's speaking and authoring this proverb, that evil men are sometimes attractive. That's why he's encouraging his son, do not be envious of them or desire to be with them. But what he's communicating to them is that from them comes all different sorts of violence and trouble. Now, this is beautiful. I mean, all of the Proverbs, in a sense, are very parental. But this is parental in the sense that he is recognizing the human condition. Uh, He is not going to be shocked when his child is attracted to the world and its ways, but instead he's going to say, look, there will be an appeal there. However, when you are tempted to desire to be with them, I want you to see the end result. When you feel that attraction, go the other way, because if you don't, then violence and trouble will be your end. And so this parent is speaking to his child, encouraging him to think of the outcome. Uh, This is very similar to the New Testament concept of teaching us the outcome of sin. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, on and on, through the rest of verse 21 in in Galatians chapter 5. And so we are encouraged to think of the outcome of our actions. Now verse 3, the sayings continue with the 20th saying, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant things. Now this saying seems to shift from a literal house and a literal room to the figurative, uh, because it has as a foundation understanding and rooms that are filled with knowledge. So, in other words, this structure is not so much a literal structure as it is just simply looking and seeing something that is built with a foundation of understanding and is filled with knowledge. So, the idea here is that we should make sure that as we are building a home or establishing a household, that we are building it with the understanding of God's Word 
and the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Scripture. Saying 21 in verse 5 and 6 goes like this. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Now this is a beautiful proverb because it teaches something very simple. It teaches that wisdom in your life leads to strength and knowledge in your life makes you mightier. Now the question is how? Well, according to this proverb, with wisdom you'll actually go to war better and with counselors you will actually win the war. Now. This is incredibly important for, obviously, the king's son, the initial recipient of these Proverbs, to know about. Because in his future role, he would be taking the nation, at times, out into war. And so the father is speaking to the son and saying, look, you're going to need uh, wisdom. You're going to need knowledge. You're going to need wise guidance. You're going to need counselors if you are going to be strong have might wage war in a victorious kind of sense and obviously there were many kings in Israel who rejected this counsel and refused to have good godly wise counselors all around them and the largest examples of that are the on and on relationship between kings and prophets throughout the latter half of Israel's Old Testament history where so many kings refused to listen to the prophetic utterances that God was giving to the nation in the form of the office of the prophet. And so the urging here is listen to wise counsel, listen to the prophets as they speak. But this is not only important for the king's son to know about, but it's important for us to know about as well. You know, that we would build our lives with and by the wisdom and knowledge and wise guidance and abundance of counselors that are provided to us uh, in the word of God. Of course, the Bible itself is our greatest counsel. But then there are those who are gifted and called to be able to teach and communicate the word of God who we can also consult. But then also there will be counselors, people who are wise in our lives who are, again, conscious of and understand the word of God. We turn to them to get that insight into what we ought to be. And to just simply ask for that wisdom is so important. Now, the 22nd saying, verse 7, Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. Uh, the idea here is that a fool really doesn't have anything to contribute in the gate. Now, in those times, the city gate was the place that the wise men of the city would congregate, the elders of the city, the city officials, those who were you know, making the big decisions or what that city was going to be, was not going to be. Uh, they would get together and, and these men would you know, discuss and, and discern and, and try to calculate what the wise course of action would be. Well, the idea is, imagine there in the city gate a fool being part of that cluster of elders. Uh, the idea would be, he, he doesn't 
have anything to contribute. Wisdom is too high for him. He cannot really open his mouth effectively or successfully uh, in the gate. Now, we understand from other Proverbs that it's more than possible that he will try to do so and that he will try to spout what he thinks is wisdom. But the idea here is that he will not have any real legitimate wisdom to offer. And of course, this exhorts us, in a sense, to be a people who would grow in our understanding of God's Word, would grow in our walk with the Lord, so that through the experiences of walking with Him and knowing His Word, we would have wisdom to offer when uh, time and opportunity opens a door for us to be able to offer wisdom to someone around us. I remember when I first started walking with the Lord, I really wasn't very conscious of other people. But at a point in my early years with the Lord, the Holy Spirit really grabbed a hold of my life and began to gift me and enable me in ways that I had previously not been gifted. And that was one of the more shocking things was that all of a sudden my heart had begun to turn towards other people. I wanted to think about, minister to, care for others. And so for me at least, it began to fuel my desire to understand God's word because I wanted to be able to give wisdom to these people that I cared about and not just merely my own opinions and my own life experiences. Now the 23rd saying is in verse 8. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. The idea here is simple. It's simply this, that amongst God's people, schemers and scoffers are generally disregarded and looked down upon. You know, the people that you end up respecting in Christ are not those who are constantly scoffing, those who are constantly doubting everything, those who are, you know, constantly causing trouble and and uh, devising human uh, fleshly schemes. Um, you begin to respect and honor those who plan to do righteously, who are not devising evil or folly, but are devising righteousness and good and godliness. You know, over time, that's the reality, is that we s tend to look up to those in Christ who have been fruitful unto the Lord. I know when I'm sitting in a group with other believers, more seasoned believers than I am, one of the things that I'm wanting to, to do is listen to those who have gone before me who have been very fruitful. It's by hearing them talk about their lives and the decisions they had made that I learn and grow so often. Now verse 10, the 24th saying, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. The idea here is that when tested with adversity, you will discover just how strong you truly are. You know, imagine, if you will, somebody who's uh, lifting a weight. Maybe they're there lying down on the bench and their friends, you know, kind of load up the bar with weights and then the weight is lifted off of the bar and drawn down to the chest. You know, the idea is, in that moment, you're going to find out if you are strong enough 
to be able to push that weight up and away from your body. Uh, the idea here is that when adversity comes in your life, when that, when that pressure comes into your life, if when that pressure, that adversity comes into your life, you faint, it is, according to the proverb, an evidence that you have small strength. You see, when things are going good, when things are going well, when everything is peachy and, and, and everything's fine and there's not a cloud in the sky, anyone can be strong in those days. But when the Lord gets a hold of your life and he begins to build you up, when you more and more are able to say with David that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for his rod and his staff, they comfort me. The more you're able to say that, the more that you're able to allow your spiritual strength to be built up, then when the day of adversity comes, your strength will be proved. It, it, it will become evident because in that adverse situation, you will be able to endure and survive. You know, Jesus taught his disciples a concept very similar to this in the Garden of Gethsemane. You might remember that he urged Peter and James and John during his three hours of prayer to also pray. Remember, he had previously told them that they would deny him that very night. And so he urged them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, he was urging them in that moment to build up their strength, build up their spiritual strength because there would be a moment when that adversity of, in the form of temptation to deny Christ was going to come. And so he's urging them in that moment, build up your strength. You see, the, the reality is that you don't know when the day of adversity is going to come. You don't know what day the trial is going to enter into your life. They do not have a calendar appointment you know, on your phone. No, the reality is that we don't know when the day of adversity is coming, so we must prepare ourselves and allow our strength to be built up slowly but surely over the years. This is part of the reason why I believe it is so important for us to just be consistent in the basic elements of attending a worship gathering with other believers every single week where the word of God is taught, where fellowship is happening, where generosity is taking place, and where service is happening. And also that we should have some semblance, you know, it'll look different at different seasons of life, but some semblance of a personal time with the Lord every single day. Or to shoot for that. Because as we engage in those things over time, it's just like lifting weights. Your strength is built up so that when the adversity comes, you are strong for that season. Now the 25th saying is in verse 11. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, verse 12, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Now, the first response to this proverb is probably the more uh, Old Testament, outward, Israelite era application of the proverb. You know, the idea here is that there are those who are really struggling. 
they're being taken away to death. They're stumbling to the slaughter. Uh, the idea is that whether through poverty or through persecution, the attack of uh, foreign power, uh, they are struggling. And if, in light of that information, the Israelite says, hey, we didn't know about it. We, we hadn't known that. The question is, don't you think God sees that? Don't you think God perceives it? He keeps watch over your soul. He knows it. And don't you think he's going to repay man according to his work? So one application of this on the surface level would be we want to share our goods with others. There are people practically here in this world that we can be an aid to. They are in a practical, physical, outward kind of way being taken away to death and are stumbling to the slaughter. That would have been the Israelite Old Testament understanding of this proverb. And of course, this concept is not just Old Testament in nature, but very New Testament in nature as well. 1 John 3, 16 and 17. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And that is, of course, one of the great outlets that we have uh, for our faith is to help those who are in need. And yes, especially in the New Testament and as well in the Old Testament, there is something to be said for helping those who are in the household of faith. Uh, but it also seems like it would be fine and good and beautiful for us to help those who are outside of the household of faith as well. So our first response would be to actually, physically, practically help those in need. But our second and more deep response would be to share not just our goods, but the gospel. You see, those who are being taken away to death and those who are stumbling to the slaughter obviously can be those who physically are dying and physically are stumbling through life. But there's a spiritual sense that is truer, more real than the physical realm and dimension. People who are living their lives on the way to death. People who are stumbling all the way to the slaughter. And so we want to share the glorious gospel of grace. Now the 26th saying is found in verse 13 and 14. My son, eat honey for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. No that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. The idea here is that wisdom is good and invigorating like honey and the honeycomb. I mean, think of one of your favorite foods to eat. You know, something that just tastes so great, you know, to you. And imagine yourself biting into it or taking a sip of it and and the reality here is that what he's saying is, in, in that culture, honeycomb was one of the sweetest, tastiest things a person could partake of. And so here the idea is, wisdom, that's what it does to your soul. It's good for you. It's sweet for your soul. Your soul delights in it. And if you engage in it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Saying 27 is found in verse 15. 
Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. The idea here is kind of a boomerang effect upon the wicked who lies in wait against the dwelling of the righteous. The idea is, hey, they do that, but eventually they are going to stumble in times of calamity. So kind of a what they do comes back upon them. They they attack, but eventually they will be attacked. In other words, it does not end well uh, for them. A great example of this in the Bible would be the story of Daniel and the lion's den. You remember that there were accusers who were jealous of Daniel and organized the laws of the land in such a way that would entrap Daniel and force him to be thrown into the lion's den. And all of that was effective, but what was not effective was that Daniel did not die. The Lord protected him there in the lion's den. He was then delivered after he had fulfilled the law. He'd been delivered to the lions. And then the king gave the commission, because he loved Daniel, to throw those conspirators into the lion's den. And so the very thing that they wanted, as they lied in wait to do violence to Daniel, the very thing they wanted had come back upon them. But the fascinating verse here is the righteous falls seven times and rises again. This speaks of the protection of God upon his people. You know, as you read through the book of Acts, that is one of the conclusions that you come to is that God is involved in protecting his people, in protecting his messengers, those who are righteous. And though they might be persecuted, Though they might fall, though they might suffer for their faith, uh, the Lord faithfully brings them to glory and faithfully expands that gospel message. You remember the words of Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And so as you look at that, you see Paul describing falling a bunch of times. He talks about of being afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, carrying about in the body the death of Jesus. But in all of those falls, God lifts the, him up. I'm not crushed. I'm not driven to despair. I'm not forsaken. I'm not destroyed. And the life of Jesus is made manifest in my body. So again, a New Testament corollary to Verse 16, here in Proverbs 24, the righteous falls seven times and rises again. Verse 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. So in this 28th saying, we learn we're not to rejoice and be glad at the fall of or the stumbling of our, our enemies. God will see that inner attitude and be displeased. 
Verse 19, fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of the wicked for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. So we remember here that the evil man has no future. And when we remember that, we are protected from fret or envy of the wicked. We have to remember the end of these actions. Saying number 30, the final of these 30 sayings, My son, fear the Lord and the King. Do not join with those who do otherwise. Verse 22, For disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Again, this is the final of the 30 sayings. And the exhortation is to fear the Lord and the King. It seems an appropriate exhortation here from a king to his son. Fear God and fear the king. People should fear both God and government, for both are responsible for punishing rebels. One of them indirectly and for eternity, and then one of them very directly, the governmental authorities, and in the temporary, the here and now. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, verse 17, that we should honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now to close out the 24th chapter of Proverbs, there are six more sayings of the wise. Uh, these are an additional six you know, statements that a wise person would cling to. Uh, the, they will discuss justice and injustice on the courts, honesty, priorities, false witnessing, revenge, and laziness. So let's partake of them. These also, verse 23, are sayings of the wise. Partiality in judging is not good. Verse 24, whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations, but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and good blessing will come upon them. You know, no matter how much we try to trivialize morality and make it irrelevant and say, you know, whatever is right for you is what is right for you and whatever's wrong for you is wrong for you, but might not be wrong for me. No matter how much we try to do that, there is still a general sense throughout the world of good and evil. And when someone perverts justice, it is wrong and it is damaging. Of course, as believers, we know that we are not to do this in that we are not to make distinctions, James chapter 2, verse 4, among ourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Now, in verse 26, the proverb goes on to say, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. So this is saying that an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. In other words, honesty means you are actually concerned for someone else. Honesty means that you are wanting to bless someone else. You are willing to, rather than mask a problem, get to the root of the problem. It is a mark of true friendship. Verse 27 says, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. So we're to prepare before we build. This is applicable for a literal building of a home and preparing everything in the field, but that literal reality is a beautiful illustration of a inner and emotional and spiritual reality. You should prepare before you try to engage in marriage or have a family. You should prepare before you try to do anything for the Lord of consequence. You should prepare before you enter into or engage in a large work project. There should be preparation. I, I think that the more we spend time in preparation, the more successful our endeavors will be. 
Verse 28, be not a witness against your neighbor without cause and do not deceive with your lips. Uh, false witness here is again reiterated as a major problem, not just for the courts, but for society. Uh, you think about it in the world we live in, reviews that are a lie or slander, news that is false, is a great danger to our species. Now verse 29, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay back, or I will pay the man back for what he has done. In other words, don't say to yourself that you will execute revenge. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 38. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what the religious leaders taught. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, when Jesus says this, he's not saying that in our civil government or our national government, we are to ignore justice and say, well, hey, there's no punishment here. He's not introducing something ridiculous or impossible, you know, telling us that we shouldn't protect or defend our families, for instance. Nor is he saying something mechanical. No, what he's saying is something very, very spiritual. That as believers, we are above the cause and effect forms of the law. We are grace-filled. We are forgiving. And so when someone slaps on the cheek or takes our tunic or forces us to go an extra mile or asks for us to give, there's a part of us we're not here to be taken advantage of, but there's a part of us that is above just the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of environment that so many people live in. Now, in verse 30, our proverb closes with, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and, verse 34, poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Fourteen times in the Proverbs, the sluggard is spoken of. And here, the imagery is fascinating. This proverbist goes around looking at the field of the sluggard, the vineyard of the sluggard, and he sees thorns everywhere and nettles everywhere and the stone wall broken down and he learned something. A little sleep here, a little slumber there, a little folding of the hands to rest. It all adds up. Poverty will come because laziness will come back to bite you. Would to God that the Spirit of Christ would come into us. Jesus was a hard-working man. We could say that of him. And we also would want to be a hard-working people for his honor and glory. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.